This is Tech Talk with your host, Tom Dioria. Tom will spend the next hour making your life with technology a little easier with explanations of the different aspects of today's technology and how it can benefit your home, small office, or enterprise. Now here's your host, Tom Dioria. Welcome to IMI's Tech Talk. It's the fifth Sunday of October, one of those few months that has five Sundays. It's Halloween Eve. It's October 30th, 2016. We're on at 6 p.m. in the New York listening area and 3 p.m. in Arizona. That's going to change soon in New York, but not in Arizona. Today we're live from our New York offices, and we're going to be discussing next steps for the gig economy with our guest, Stephen DeWitt. I'm Tom DiOria. CEO of Information Methods Incorporated, and together with our weekly guests, our show will help our listeners, whether a business or home technology user, make better use of all aspects of technology. Just in case you're a first-time listener, in our first segment, Tech Talk provides you a review of last week's most significant events in technology. We start with our increased coverage of New York's technology scene, and we follow this with an industry-wide report, which could contain information on conferences, announcements by vendors, new releases of software equipment, or new contract opportunities. One of our guests followed us from many aspects of business and industry, and if you wish us to consider a topic for a future show, you can email your suggestions to techtalk, that's T-E-C-H-T-A-L-K, at imi-us.com. We'll get back to you pretty quickly. Anytime after our show introduction, please give us a call or send us uh, an email message with questions on today's topic or any uh, other subject we might be able to help you with. You can use that email address I just gave you, techtalk at imi-us.com. And you can also call 277-KFNX, that's 277-5369 with your questions while we're on the show. And if you're outside the 602 listening area, call us toll-free at 1-866-536-1100. You can send us email questions throughout the show at techtalk at imi-us.com. If we don't get your questions on today's show, we'll definitely send you a response and try and get you on next week. And we're also being simulcast on the web, so if you want to listen to us live but you can't get to your radio, you can go to KFNX's website, which is 1100kfnx.com. And if you want to listen to this show again or any of our previous shows, you can go to our website, which is imi-us.com. In the upper right-hand corner is the Tech Talk button. Click on that. All the shows are there. You can download them. They're archived. And uh, let us know anything else uh, that you can help you with. For segments how we can review it's our increased coverage of technology events in New York City and around the world, compiled by Dan Dioria, Dave Brandon, and Jose Batista. Okay, the Times tells us that your phone has just become home to a tiny collection of modern art. Recently, the Museum of Modern Art announced that it has acquired the original set of 176 Emoji for its permanent collection. They are designed for papers made by the Japanese mobile provider NTT Docomo and uh, released in 1999, were first photographs to make their way into uh, mobile communications. It would take another decade for them to explode into the American phenomenon when Apple integrated its first set for the iPhone in 2011. There are now nearly 2,000 standardized versions. Uh, they are recognized now as the slick, round, yellow, smiley faces uh, that was a rudimentary line drawing back then with a little rectangle box for a mouth and two uh, carrots for eyes. But nowadays, uh, MoMA's acquisition adds the uh, emoji set to a growing collection of digital objects, including the at symbol and selected selection of video games. When MoMA acquired the at symbol in 2010, Boala Antonelli, the senior curator in the Department of Architecture and Design, called it perhaps the only true free object in MoMA's collection. 
The addition of the at sign uh, relies on the assumption that physical possession of an object as a requirement for an acquisition is no longer necessary. For the museum, she wrote, it has freed curators to collect objects too large to fit within the building, like, say, satellites, and works to, uh, to hang like a painting. The emoji set uh, was acquired through a licensing agreement with Docomo that lets the museum display the images in a range of forms. Starting in December, MoMA will show the emoji in the museum lobby uh, in a display that incorporates both 2D graphics and animations. Cranes tells us that soon uh, the first New York City Alamo Drafthouse Theater uh, will open in downtown Brooklyn. The no talk, no text, no pre-movie advertisement cinema chain was founded in 1997 as the single-screen mom-and-pop uh, repertory movie theater in Austin, Texas. Brooklyn location, Alamo is 25th nationwide. Other cities include Los Angeles, San Francisco, and Yonkers. That's in New York. will offer in-theater dining as well as alcoholic beverages. The seven-theater multiplex located at 445 Albee Square West comes four years after the company founder and CEO, Tim League, tried to open an Alamo Drafthouse Cinema in Manhattan's old Metro Theater at, at 2626 Broadway. According to the New York Times, League uh, sank just under $1 million into the project before canceling construction. Around the same time, the League decided to get out of Manhattan. He signed a long-term lease in the Albee Square property in Brooklyn's new City Point complex. Uh, Alamo Theaters will occupy the fourth and fifth floors of the retail, residential, and office space location on the corner of Flatbush Avenue and Fulton Street. The Alamo Theaters and uh, Center 21 are the building's first tenants. Trader Joe's, Target, Fortina, Decal Market Hall, and Han Dynasty are slated to open there by 2017. The new MacBook Pro is here, in case uh, those of you didn't know that. TechCrunch tells us it has been four long years since Apple issued the last major overhaul to its high-end laptop line. For those that have been holding out since 2012, the day as expected is finally here. Tim Cook took the stage at an intimate event at Apple's home, shipped in Cupertino, to show off the company has been working on all this time. The 25th anniversary of the release of the company's first notebook, the PowerBook, uh, the company showed off the newly refreshed version of the Pro, featuring, as Leak suggested, a secondary display between the keyboard and screen. Apple has christened it Touch Bar, the mini retina display that does away with the Mac's row of function keys. The space is a small multi-touch screen that utilizes gestures and taps to perform a wide variety of different tasks, from showing typing suggestions to displaying tools for various apps, all based on the context of what the user is doing at the time. This wouldn't be a piece of Apple's hardware without a Siri built-in. Uh, there's a button available by default that will bring you directly to the company's friendly AI assistant. And unlike iPhone's headphone jack, there's still one there. Don't worry about it. Uh, the function row isn't completely dead. There's a function button that brings all keys back when you hold it down. Users can also customize the bar by dragging and dropping functionality down from a notification center like Pane that pops up from the bottom of the screen. According to the company, it's the thinnest and lightest version of the Pro to date with a 17-inch version of the laptop measuring at 14.9 millimeters thick. The 15-inch version is 13 inches, and that comes in a three-pound version. Okay, finally, we're going to tell you that the recent massive Internet disruption came from hackers. This is from Computer World. 
using an estimated 100,000 devices, many of which have been infected with notorious malware that can take over cameras and DVRs. The malware known as Miri has been um, blamed for causing at least part of the disruption denial of service attack, which targeted uh, DIN and slowed access to many popular sites in the United States. But new findings confirm Miria-infected devices were actually the primary source for the Internet disruption. The statement also suggests that hackers behind the attack may have been holding back. Companies have observed variants of the malware spreading across more than 500,000 devices built with uh, weak default passwords, making them easy to infect. Given that disruption involved only 100,000 devices, it is possible that hackers could have launched an even more powerful uh, DDoS attack. Hackers have typically used DDoS, that's denial of service, by the way, to flood individual websites with an overwhelming amount of traffic, forcing it offline. So it's unclear who launched the recent attack, but uh, we'll keep on this and see if we can uh, give you some more information. This is Tom DiOrio on IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. It's Halloween Eve 2016. Um, we're going to take a break. We're going to get to our guest, Stephen DeWitt, and talk to you about next steps for gig economy. So please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. I'm Tom Diori. It's the 30th of October, Halloween Eve. Our guest today is Stephen DeWitt, and we're going to be talking about next steps for the gig economy, and Stephen is the CEO of Work Market, a role he assumed in January 2015 to lead the company in its next phase as leading enterprise labor automation platform. A 30-year technology veteran, Stephen was attracted to Work Market's opportunity to help companies achieve digital transformation by adopting a cloud-based workforce and work management model. Stephen previously served as Senior Vice President and General Manager at Hewlett Packard, where he served as the company executive leadership team. Prior to joining Hewlett uh, Packard, uh, Stephen was President, CEO, and Chairman of Azul Systems for five years, where he provided strategic leadership and visionary direction for the company from its earliest stages through product development and market entry. Uh, he earned his Bachelor of Science in Economics and Finance from Babson College in Boston, Massachusetts. Stephen, thanks for taking the time to be with us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, truly a pleasure to be here. Okay, so let's start at the beginning here. And first tell us what gig economy means, and then maybe you can give us a little history about it. <laughs> well, I think the gig economy is a kind of a tongue-in-cheek uh, 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 moniker, if you will, of uh, today's uh, work dynamic. Um, I think it was really spawned as a term following the emergence of Uber. Uh, I think if you had uh, run around the streets of Manhattan, uh, you know, seven, eight years ago yelling Uber, people would have thought you were some strange Norwegian tourist. Uh, but now, uh, now we all know uh, the impact uh, that Uber has had in a very short period of time, less than a decade. They've become the largest transportation uh, or most valued transportation company on the planet. Uh, and when you think about that statement and the extraordinary nature of it, it's because uh, of a number of factors. Uh, one, the technology of today is very different from the technology of yesterday. When you hear people talk about the cloud, uh, the cloud is not only a metaphor for how 
computing and network uh, network connectivity, uh, storage, et cetera, is delivered, but it's also a metaphor for data uh, influencing what software can do. And when you think about Uber and the extraordinary capabilities that happen in that moment that you touch uh, a button on your phone and you see the little uh, bar circle around, software is making a match between you and a worker. Uh, that worker uh, is in a car somewhere, and all of the uh, matchmaking and the location uh, dynamics and the uh, administrative items are all handled uh, dynamically in real time. And on the other side of the wire is a worker who's making a decision to monetize their spare time, uh, monetize periods of time where their car isn't being used, and by doing so, they're getting higher return on the investment in their car. They're getting higher return on the skills that they have. And so when you think about gig economy in its kind of broadest sense, it is uh, the dynamic that's happening on both ends of the wire. New business models are emerging that take advantage of technology, mobility, connectivity, a connected society, and those workers with skills in a connected society are leveraging technology to drive more income and better quality of life. And that's, that's really what the gig economy is all about. Is gig an acronym? Uh, you know, I, I kind of look at it, you know, if we look back to the 80s, is uh, the 80s an acronym? I mean, if we all thought about the things that we experienced in the 80s or the 90s, et cetera, I, you know, I, I think the the gigs – the name gigs is a is a you know a short version of um, you know uh, you know hey go take this gig uh, here's a short thing to do a short span type activity I think that's really where the name itself comes from but the 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 what sits behind the name is the theory of a more frictionless environment between an employer and a worker where there's no middlemen that create drag or cost or inefficiencies, uh, and a better platform for workers to monetize their capabilities. So it's gig in that, in that sense as opposed to gig as gigabyte. Definitely, and I, I, uh, I have a long history uh, having been on the executive teams at HP and Cisco of building gigabyte things. This is not about that. Sure. Gig as an entertainment. It's, exactly. uh, I mean, based on your definition, it's a, a project or, in this case of Uber, a task that you hire on demand for that single event, I guess, is a good way of talking. Yeah, and, and our, our world is a little different than the world of, uh, you know, transportation in the Uber dynamic. What work market is all about is taking that metaphor into the enterprise. And when you think about the legacy brands that define our, uh, our, you know, our economic society, the Fortune 1000, if you will, from large transportation companies and insurance companies and product good companies and telecommunication giants, and we all know the brands, the media companies, uh, these entities are going through their own evolution, uh, the way that they conduct business the way that they build their workflows, how they get things done. Uh, you know, large companies do service delivery. Large companies build software. Large companies have marketing departments. And the way that work is provisioned 
where work is provisioned to is not the way that it was a handful of years ago. And as enterprises modernize their operations, it allows them to drive enormous improvements in productivity. And that is really the fundamental definition of competitiveness moving forward. How does your organization uh, work market fit into this whole Uber model? If I'm a company and I need some a web designed, I can uh, get somebody to design my web and then go away? Is that the theory here? Yes, and we go way beyond that. What our software allows the company to do, and, and since we've kind of locked on the Uber model, if you think about the software that makes the Uber experience possible, the mobile uh, first nature of it, meaning it's designed to appear on connected devices, tablets, phones, uh, PCs, it doesn't matter, uh, uh, being driven from data, uh, just as Uber tells drivers what are the best routes to take and the best, who's the most efficient driver for a task, inside of an enterprise context, uh, you know, if a service delivery guy is coming to your house for a repair or a, uh, a, a blog needs to be written or a, 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 a piece of a creative needs to be generated, these are all tasks, and those tasks can be influenced by tasks that had happened previously, the performance, the rating uh, of somebody that works. Uh, what our software does, just like the software that runs Uber, is allows an enterprise to automate uh, workflows, automate the provisioning of labor to the right person to do that task. And that person could be inside your four walls, a traditional nine-to-five type employee. They may be an independent worker. Uh, or they may be a service provider or a subcontractor or, or someone inside of the supplier mix of your enterprise. Historically, there have never been tools that could help a, a decision maker make that decision based on real-time market data in terms of what is the uh, price of a particular skill in a particular location. Uh, comparing that to a paid employee, all of the dynamics that would ultimately choose who has the best skills and has the best opportunity to produce an outcome, all of that is now being driven in uh, algorithms, uh, just as algorithms trade on Wall Street, just as algorithms shape uh, how Uber's model or Amazon as a retailer shapes a consumer experience for you. Our solutions allow enterprises to bring that sort of automation to bear inside of their environment, and by doing so, dramatically improve productivity or of certain aspects of their business. That brings up a lot of questions about productivity and cost savings, but we have to take a break, and we'll come back and delve into that a little bit more. This is Tom DiOrio on IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. It's the 30th of October, 2016. We're talking to Stephen DeWitt, who is the CEO of Work Market, about next steps for the gig economy. This is a half-hour break, so you're going to get the national news and international news, so it's a little longer, but come on back, uh, and we'll be back with Stephen. Please stay tuned. Welcome back to IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. I'm Tom Dioria. It's the 30th of October. Uh, 
Halloween Eve in uh, New York City and around the country. And our guest today is Stephen DeWitt, and we're talking about next steps for the gig economy. And, Stephen, before the break, you were talking about how your product works. And one of the things that intrigued me, um, you mentioned that uh, your model or your, your software will look at uh, who the company may have in-house that's a resource for a project or a task, uh, whether or not it's an independent supplier or a sub. How do you do that? I mean, I, I can see where you can look at the talents of the people inside. Do you have your own databases for independents and subs that you can take a look at? And then the second part of the question is you find the right mix, and is the output of that product the ability to get the best bang for the buck so you're saving money on how you're allocating those resources? There's a couple of questions there, and they're both yep. excellent. Uh, so first, how, you know, how does the magic happen? And, and this is really uh, speaks to the time as much as it speaks to what we're doing at Work Market. It's 2016. We're in the po uh, post-cloud world. Uh, the way that software is built now is designed to have a contextual front end, meaning that it knows that you, Tom, are the user, or Stephen is the user, or... Uh, um, it, it becomes very uh, user-centric, so the experience shapes around the front end. What sits behind the back end uh, is a live uh, data repository. The work market is a live exchange. Uh, I, I guess a good way to think about it is like eBay. You know, eBay never closes. Uh, eBay is not itself a marketplace. I mean, eBay doesn't make pencils and cups and things that people sell on eBay, but it provides the live exchange and the tools for both buyers and sellers to conduct perfect frictionless commerce. That's what our platform does. It allows an enterprise to build, manage, and curate clouds of labor. And in our world, a cloud of labor is comprised of your employees. All of your employees have skills and capabilities. They all have a salary. They all have an economic value. Uh, you also have suppliers. They are, you know, they go through a, a process to become a supplier inside of an enterprise. So you want to capture that. So that also gets put into the work market. So all of your suppliers, their performance, their cost rates, their locations, their availability, all of that gets amalgamated. And then as it replaces, uh, as it relates to independent workers, and this is really a sign of the times, we provide enterprises with tools to build and curate networks of independent workers. Um, an enterprise A, let's call it a large retailer in the United States, that's looking to transform uh, its store operations may want to build a cloud of labor against certain skills in certain geographies where they don't have very good coverage. And so they'll want to leverage digital tools to recruit and develop people with certain skills to be part of their cloud in a certain geography. And that's what we provide. Uh, just as Uber can provide a network for Albuquerque and the drivers in Albuquerque, we can provide a network for a company looking to uh, uh, build a cloud of, you mentioned, web developers. Well, and uh, well, web developers may not be a very location-specific job. That's more towards uh, service delivery. Um, you know, my corporate headquarters may be in uh, New York, I have a, uh, a, a very uh, uh, well-known uh, New York CMO uh, 
uh, here at Work Market and her organization. She has uh, a number of W-2 uh, uh, team members, and she has a human cloud that she's built and curated of independent writers, designers, content creators, etc., and she can provision work to them in real time, just as she can provision work uh, to one of her employees. Um, and the software will make a decision based on time, cost, location, availability, quality, uh, to provision work inside or outside. And that's uh, it's really combination of data, uh, 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 unlimited compute uh, capability, which means the algorithm shape the outcomes, um, and mobile. Uh, those are the big technologies uh, that enable uh, this to happen. Is Workforce's clients primarily the private sector? Because this sounds like a great application for the government. Fabulous question. Yes, I would say the overwhelming majority has been in the private sector right now. When you have the sector of 90-day performance-driven results, we all follow the stock market very clearly. I mean, if you listen to CNBC or any uh, 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 talk shows around uh, investor performance, you hear every day about companies transforming themselves. Uh, layoffs, recaps, remodels, competitiveness, et cetera. The, the market is very intense right now. On the public sector side, the need is critical. Um, our public infrastructure is not very efficient. The largest employer in the United States is the public sector, um, so we as an economy. And, and look, the economic results uh, uh, in terms of U.S. productivity over the last handful of quarters have been lousy, and, and we as a society shouldn't stand for it. I think some of it is stemming from, uh, uh, you know, we're in a political morass right now, and, and we need to get through that. Uh, but, you know, U.S. Uh, businesses right now having adopted so much technology in the early part of the century and had gotten to maturity on that technology are now facing the next wave of technology uh, built on the cloud, built on data, uh, uh, and a number of other emerging technologies, a fully connected society. All of us, all of our industries need to uh, modernize to take advantage of this or we'll lose competitiveness around the globe. I certainly hope that some of our colleagues, because uh, we do a lot of work in the government and watch what you were just talking about, would really benefit from this. I'm not sure exactly how to get them to focus on the type of service that you provide, but to me, governments all over the place have a mix of their own people, subs, and independents, as well as large corporations like HP. It would make such a difference if they could even get a small bit of of economics, considering how much money they pay, I think you'll see it. I think you'll see it at the state and local level before you'll see it at the federal level, and it's unfortunate, but it is. It, it's a question of leadership. It's a question of technology vision and policy coming together. And there are plenty of issues on the policy side uh, that need to get worked. And I think we're all hopeful that we'll get through the election system and get focused on real stuff. That would be a, a great thing. We're going to take another break. Uh, we're going to come back with uh, Stephen DeWitt, who is the CEO of Work Market, and talk a little bit more about gig economy. This is Tom Dioria. We're on IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. I'm Tom Dioria, and it's the 30th of October, 2016. 
And uh, hopefully you've been listening. We're talking about the gig economy with our guest, Stephen DeWitt. And, uh, Stephen, before uh, we get back to uh, the discussion, if our listeners want to follow up with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, Workmarket.com, uh, easiest uh, easiest place. Uh, we're we're um, uh, both those that are interested in developing, uh, putting their profile, putting their flag, uh, in the work market, we encourage uh, all your listeners to do that. Uh, you know, the the future world as we see it uh, is an open marketplace between skilled workers and uh, employers. And uh, we have hundreds of thousands of people in the work market that have placed their flag there. And, and the second that you're in the work market, you're exposed to every enterprise, big or small, that's in the work market. And everything can be found uh, right there. And for businesses that are looking at it, um, you know, we have incredible success stories. It's kind of fun. You know, I'm a 30-year guy. I remember building the technology that brought the Internet uh, to bear. Uh, you know, and we used to talk back in the 80s and 90s about the great equalizer that the Internet could be for small business. Well, we, we now have uh, dozens of small businesses, uh, classic, you know, uh, sole proprietors up to very small partnerships that are able to operate at a global scale because of the cloud. Uh, this isn't theory anymore. Uh, it's happening around us, and that is creating enormous pressure on the traditional enterprise uh, to compete. Um, I was on the executive team at Hewlett Packard, one of the most iconic brands in our country. Uh, and if you've been following Hewlett Packard over the last handful of years, you know that it is decomposing into its really organic essence. Uh, and that is a sign of the times. Definitely. I understand uh, my producers told me that Work Market commissioned a KRC research uh, study to evaluate the views of CFOs and line of business managers on productivity. Can you discuss a little bit about the productivity report? We commissioned this because I think we're just as nervous as Janet Yellen is. U.S. productivity over the last handful of quarters has been lousy. The rate of growth of our productivity is going backwards right now after really a, a good 10, 12 years of significant annual growth. And when you think about that, our, our survey showed kind of what we thought it would, and that is productivity. You know, 82% of the C-levels that we talked to held productivity out as the defining measure of their success. And so when you think about U.S. economy as a, as a basket declining and you look at some of the flagship brands that drive that, you realize their operating models are antiquated or not performing as well. Amazon became the largest retailer in the United States this year without any stores. So if you're sitting over at Walmart or any traditional legacy retailer, your business model is evolving. Uh, and so the uh, the second big piece that kind of came out of uh, all of this is that at the end of the day, to move to a more automated environment requires you to have uh, the tools and measurements that allow automation to happen. And when you think about people, you and me and the professional context inside of the enterprise, Really, the, the measurement tools that are there really don't fit the time. You know, in a typical enterprise, an employee will go through an annual review. 
uh, and there are tools inside of the enterprise that manage expense reports, uh, and there are tools inside of the enterprise that manage, you know, the database info, uh, data information on you for payroll and for tax purposes. But really, when you look at the human side of tools, there's really nothing there inside the enterprise that brings the variables that shape how a task is performed, your skills, your application of the skills, the economics of that, the performance over a body of work. There's no automation around that. And so for enterprises to step into an algorithmic world, uh, to step into uh, areas where productivity can be dramatically uh, influenced requires an investment in the tooling. And that, um, uh, and, and that really is the frontier that's ahead of the typical big enterprise over the next decade. And that has enormous potential. It, it should be a very good thing for both the U.S. economy and the U.S. worker. But this is going to be really uh, akin to the first 10 years of the Internet where everything was new and business process had to evolve to take advantage of technology. The influence of data and the new tools that will come into the enterprise will require an acculturization uh, of operating models, uh, but that's what the next uh, decade is all about. One of the questions that we just got asked is, I understand your model and I understand what your software does. Has, has it been proven, and I, I'm sure the answer is yes, that your software model works better than human selection of the same task. I have to believe yeah, you have the capability and, and, to do a much larger analysis. Yeah, and look, I hope your listeners uh, saw the 60-minute piece the other uh, week on uh, IBM Watson and, and uh, the clinical trials that they've been doing where they've had an artificial intelligence engine sitting alongside doctors uh, going through the same diagnosis a human going through a human-driven process and a computer going through an artificial intelligence-driven process. And you know what? You know, I think it was 46 out of 50 times they come up with the same answer. Uh, but there's a number of times where the artificial intelligence comes up with a better or, or an expanded set of solutions. In our world, and to answer your question, yes. Uh, and I know this will be, for some people, hard to grok, but the algorithms that drive the work market will make a better decision uh, uh, than you will recommending somebody that you've worked alongside of for a number of years. And you may say that's not possible, but understand you've worked with somebody for a number of years. So on certain tasks, that skill and that capability and the expense of somebody isn't going to be a perfect fit. And while you may provision that to somebody because you've worked with them, it may not necessarily be the most productive place to provision that work. So, yes, there is. we are now at the tipping point, just as we were on Wall Street when algorithms replaced humans trading, just as we were in the world of retail when it used to be about location, location, location. Now it's about data, data, data. It is going to have an impact. Um, and while that may sound Star Trekian and maybe cold and impersonal, uh, impersonal uh, what it opens up with is a much better model and an open model for people to monetize their skills. Stephen, do you see any uh, negatives out of all of this? 
I think there, um, like all things, there will be winners and losers in this transition. I think companies that uh, embrace the capability will have uh, a better chance of success, and I think those that are laggards uh, will struggle with that. Uh, there will be industries that, as a result of this, are obsoleted. Uh, uh, you know, if you're a payphone salesperson here in New York City, these are lean years. Uh, you know, things get obsoleted, and there will be a lot of that over the next handful of years. Stephen, I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us. This is really a, a very interesting topic, and I hope to have you back soon. Sounds great. Next week, uh, we're going to be live from our New York offices uh, with our Week in Review and another guest about Tesla and the Solar City announcements. I want to thank Terry Ruggiero, IMI's President, Dave Brandon, Dan Diori, and Jose Batista for our Week in Review. Taylor Reddens, our producer, Tessa Ensures, our associate producer, and Matt Campagnese, our executive producer. But without the help of Robert Bombach from the KFNX AM 1100 uh, production department, you wouldn't have heard a word what Stephen and I said today. So thank you, Robert. And thanks again for listening. And please don't forget to tune into Tech Talk next week at 6 p.m. in New York on KFNX AM 1100. Remember to send us your suggestions for future shows or ask us questions by sending an email to techtalk at imi-us.com. Have a great week. Be safe tomorrow on Halloween. And thanks again for listening.